This is Matt Brown, and you're listening to Just a Good Conversation. I'm a strong believer in being involved in local government. Sure, state and national make all the headlines, but only local government with a few people can make a change that can affect your life immediately. My guest is Bahabra City Council member James Gomez. With over 20 years of local government under his belt, I knew he'd be a fantastic resource, a fantastic resource to discuss this issue, the power of local government. So the state came in and said, the way you're going to get your tax dollars now, you're going to rely more on retail uh, dollars, the tax revenue that you get from a retailer, like a Target or a Costco. So rather than do more homes, which Bahava was, we had to switch and figure out, how are we going to get our money? I'm Matt Brown, host of Just a Good Conversation. They can listen to all our archives. My guests have ranged from professors, journalists, and coach, and coach Andy Gutierrez. I was just in the center field, and uh, next thing you know, I hear a pop right, right behind me. So I just turn, and there's just two guys shooting at each other, maybe 20 feet away. And just boom, 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 boom. And then the coach is running towards, like, the outfield, like, get down, get down. Go to justagoodconversation.com for all our archives. Let's take a quick break from my sponsor before diving into my conversation with James Gomez. I'm lucky today that I have a wonderful guest, Mr. James Gomez. How are you today? Matt, I am so honored to be here with you today. I am such a fan of your podcast, and I'm so honored to be here. Good morning. You were absolutely on my list because I am a firm believer that local government is extremely important and that national government, even state government, gets all the headlines because it sounds sexy and it's every four years and it gets ugly and that's where all the mud gets thrown. But I believe in your, like, a diehard La Habra local guy who's in local government that I needed to go to and get the information of how important local government is to a city. Well, you know, they, they call me uh, Mr. La Habra. <laughs> they do. Tom, Tommy Lasorda came to me one time. He says, man, he says, you love La Habra like I love the Dodgers. I said, Tommy, no. I said, I love La Habra more <laughs> than you love the Dodgers because you take a season off between the season and spring training. I said, I'm 365 days a, uh, a year, sir. Yeah. That, I mean, really, that's local government yeah. is. It never ends. And, and, you know, we are accessible to people all the time where we are accessible and uh, people, we, we run into the people in the supermarkets, we run into them at the doctor's offices. So we are there, you know, all the time within our community. And, you know, somebody like me that was born and raised here, you know, the ex- expectation of me to deliver to these people is absolutely monumental. Right, because there's people you know. You might have gone to elementary school with them. Right. You might have, uh, you know, your father might have worked with them. I mean, there's a list of people that know little James. Now you're on city council. Right. Exactly. They, they knew me when I was growing up. They go, well, you're on the city council now? <laughs> you know, they knew the shenanigans I did as a child. Right. So, you know, uh, absolutely. You know, you can go and, and, and make a decision or vote on something and they feel comfortable enough. To pick up the phone, rightfully so, because I'm their elected official, and let me know how they feel about it. If they don't like something, they can pick up the phone. Where somebody like a congressman, uh, president, governor, 
you don't have that accessibility right. to them as if you are here in local government. Right. You're not going to run into your senator at the grocery store. Yeah, very, very seldom we right. run but into But they're going to run into you at El Cholo. That's right. <laughs> That's right. And, 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 and people are very comfortable to come on over and sit down and have a conversation As with they them. should be. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Give me a little back history. You grew up in La Habra, right? Through and through. Like you've... That's yeah. it. You're a La Habra, I a Highlander. Born, raised here in La Habra. Uh, end up marrying somebody uh, who went to Sonora. We're, we're now divorced. Was but that yeah. okay though? One one La Habra, one Raider. Yeah, yeah that, 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 that worked out okay, right? <laughs> um, and uh, you know, uh, my son, born and raised here. You know, he's moved out to Costa Mesa. But I go way back. Uh, the Gomez family goes way back into the 30s. Uh, when my grandfather uh, w- lived in the segregated part of La Habra, and the, they called it the camp area. Right. And he had a little, little mom-and-pop store in there. So we go way back in the 30s here in La Habra. Wow. That, that is crazy to think, just in the 30s, in your little town of La Habra in, in Orange, that there was segregation even then. Yeah. Right? And that's yeah. just nuts. You know, it, it was, it, 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 I couldn't fathom sometimes that my grandfather would say, well, you know, when he was older, like, well, we, we can't go in that store. I go, Pops, you know, it's okay. It's not like that anymore. And there was sometimes that he was reluctant to go into stores because of that segregation back there. Back back in the day, you know, and my father didn't. It was the year after, but we had a segregated school, Wilson School here in La Habra, where all the Hispanics had to go to. And, you know, my father, you know, didn't well, have to go there, but that was a year a year after that, that they got moved in. He got to go to the regular Washington School here in La Habra. But whoa. it was a Wilson School. It was a segregated school specifically for the Hispanics to go. What is Wilson now? Is it- uh, it, it's knocked down. It's, it's the area over there where the district office is now. But okay. they, they've knocked down that, that, that school. And, you know... Um, How long did it stay like that uh, for? It, it was a significant am- amount of years. And the La Habra City School District recently celebrated over 100 years of, of uh, you know, being a school district here. And they, they talked about it, the okay. top, that, that we don't want to go back to the segregation. We don't want to go back to those dark times. Uh, that was a blemish on on the district back then. Yeah, well, it's embarrassing, sure. Yeah, but yeah. but and like I, I've had this conversation with people. It's easy for you and I to sit here comfortably and discuss how it was then. We don't know what it was like then. It was different. Like it's hard to judge people then. Like yeah. it it happened and it's bad, and you can't blame everybody and say, oh, that's a horrible thing. You just have to understand the history. And, it, and, and understand the time, and then say, we'll never let that happen again. You know, I've had the opportunity to talk to a number of people that went to Wilson School, and there are some people that had some bad experiences, mm-hmm. but there are some that, you know, had that loving, caring teacher that even though they were in a segregated school, they still took an interest in the education of these these Hispanic kids, and they were compassionate, they were loving, and they had uh, great experiences, that, you know. So, it, you know, for some people it was either good or bad and kind of not in the middle for, for others, yeah. Right. When did you start to feel politics was in your blood or, or an interest? Was it in high well, school yeah, or I'll later? I'll tell you the, the strange thing is when I was a kid, I would get up and instead of watching cartoons, I would watch Good Morning America. What? And I was, <laughs> <laughs> really? Uh, true story. I'd get up in the morning. Were mom and dad worried? Mom and dad, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're not watching Bugs Bunny, but yeah, you're watching. I, I was so fascinated on to what was going on in the world. 
and I'd sit there and I watch Good Morning America. Back then, it was David Hartman and and uh, Sandy Hill that oh were the co Oh my co-hosts. gosh, yeah! And I'd sit down and I'd watch that, and I was so fascinated with what was going on in the world, and you know the stories back then. You know, like the the Patty Hearst uh, story that went on. I was so fascinated. I was glued to the TV set. Where are they going to find Patty Hearst? What was going on with that? And I drew a big interest in in that kind of thing. And then fourth grade came along, and I was in fourth grade at Walnut School here in La Habra, and they were looking for somebody to serve in in, in the, the student government class and, and that would meet uh, for lunch once a week. And they went, and they, they nobody would volunteer. So I said, you know what, I'll do it. And that was kind of my big uh, dive into getting involved in, you know, making a difference. And it was a school, fourth grade at Walnut School, where I was actually the representative for my classroom. And I served... Every year through school in student government, ASB. What what was the draw? What at that time for you? Like literally, was it the interest of being able to help the school? And your yeah, students? you know, it was kind of you know. To this day, my son even makes makes fun of me <laughs> because uh, I I thought, well, I could be able to make a difference on things going on here at the school. And I had this grand vision of making a marble field at my school where we'd have a whole little area and it'd be like Disneyland. I thought we'd have little little windmills with water and this and that where we could play marbles on. And that was my grand idea to have the grand marble field looking like Disneyland at school. And it came up with wacky ideas like that. Yeah. I love the fact that you're dating yourself in like marbles. Like yeah. there's kids that are like, what are you, what are you referring <laughs> to marbles? Yeah. Well, Glass my, my son thought I lost my marbles <laughs> with that idea. I'm sure because, okay, did you even approach anybody at the school and say like, hey, I got an idea? Like, Oh, I did. I went I went to the whole board and they were like, well, what's a marble field? I said, okay, well, we do this and we'll have water on here and we'll have little cars drive through here and we can play marbles on it and it'll look like Disneyland, but it'll be a little marble field, a little miniature marble. The, the <laughs> it looked like I was crazy. I'm but. sure they did. Immediately, they were probably thinking, okay, uh, we need to talk to James's parents. Obviously, there's something wrong with this child. Yeah, right? He's eating lead paint. <laughs> there's something going wrong. But, you know, it's, it's amazing. Even back then, I had, I had uh, one of my teachers who was named uh, Mrs. Wyckoff. You know, these connections you make with these teachers, they actually have became mentors my whole life. I still keep, she's, she's 83 years old. She still remembers James Gomez from right. that. Little James. Yeah. Right. I got another quick story that I'll tell you. It's, it's pretty interesting. So I went to, it was called Imperial uh, uh, Junior High. Mm-hmm. It was not, right. not middle school, but now it was junior high back then. And I was in my government class. And the librarian back then, her name was uh, Mrs. Rogat. Her husband happened to be the mayor. So my government class decided to contact the mayor and we had a little, kind of like a little government powwow. We all got to play roles. Council member this, that, and the other. Well, I got to play the role of the mayor. Whoa. And I sat there and played the role of the mayor in eighth grade with uh, Earl Rogat, who was the mayor back then. And who would have known it would be prophetic that I would end up being the mayor someday of La Habra. But the strange thing was, uh, and, and just touched my heart, um, about 10 years ago, I got a letter from the teacher of that class, and uh, Mrs. Bird was her name, and she says, I came across these pictures, and I thought of little Jimmy Gomez, and she sent me these old black and white pictures when I played the mayor. And, and you know, the quality of that great, they were all, you know, snap pictures in black and white, a little grainy and stuff, but I cherish these pictures these days, that she would take the time to write me a letter 
and just that she was just so proud of me that I actually became the mayor. And I, I was always wondering, like, God, how could I, I told this story when I would go talk to classrooms and say, hey, you could become the mayor. You know, I got to play the mayor uh, in one of these visits. The mayor came down, and now I actually have proof. I have pictures to show people. That is amazing. Yeah. So. It was in my blood a long right. time ago, and I, and I don't know why. Right. I mean, that's such an early spark, though, to find interest in. And and I think early on when people get into politics, right, it's the, I want to help the people around me. Yeah. I want to help my people of La Habra, you. I, I want to help my, my kids get a marble playground. Was that something that kept driving through when you were done and or going into like La Habra High School or going into? You know, since a young age, I always had this drive of wanting to help, wanting to help whatever the situation was. You know, I would see the Jerry Lewis telethon on there and I would say, hey, you know, I'd take the little kitty around in my neighborhood and say, let's send some money over there. And, and, and whatever <laughs> the cause was, I always felt like I had to make a difference. And, and, and this is like a situation was my uncle, was the president of the Lions Club. And I, again, was in eighth grade. And he needed a grand marshal for his corn festival parade. And I said, very arrogantly, a little kid with a lot of confidence, I said, you know what? I can find you somebody. And he looked at me like, <laughs> all right, right. I go, well, tell me. I said, Tio, tell me, who, who do you want me to get? He goes, well, look it. We were watching the news, and Ed Arnold was there from KBC TV, Eyewitness News, the number one station in Southern California, was there. And I, he says, get me that guy right there. I said, you want Ed Arnold? I said, I'll get him for you. So in eighth grade, I wrote him a letter. Dear Ed, we're having the 33rd, back then it was 33rd annual Corn Festival. Right. I wrote him a letter. He responded, and he came to the parade. No! He accepted my invitation. Eighth grade kid. And he pu publicized that <laughs> on, on Channel 7, which was the number one station back then. Oh, that's big. In Southern California. And, <laughs> just you know, God has blessed me enormously with these little things. So, you know, Ed has been a friend of mine. Okay, what did, your, what did Tito say? What did he say? My Tio, my Tio. He was my Tio, Tio Gordo. We call him Gordo. Okay. He was actually a captain here on the La Habra Fire Department here. He's like... Oh my, you, you got him. And then the Lions Club people were just ecstatic the fact that I had gotten this guy and he, they gave him publicity. They gave the, the parade publicity on television. Ed Arnold went on there about this 13 year old youngster by the name of Jim Gomez who wrote him a letter and he accepted the invitation and came out to the Corn Festival. The attendance must have been huge that great, year. Great attendance. We got a lot of publicity. Oh my and I goodness. And I was just up in the air on cloud nine. You should have been man of the year for pulling that <laughs> off. I mean, that's big for a 13-year-old to, to be able and to then, accomplish uh, you know, that. Then I started uh, you know, getting involved with, with them back then with the Corn Festival Parade. And you know, I've brought numerous over the years. So imagine that was a 33rd annual Corn Festival. Now I think we're like in year 72 or yes, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's unbelievable that Ed answered yeah. and responded to you. Still a good friend of mine. And then he goes whether it's a mayor's prayer breakfast or a county breakfast or whatever, and he's the MC, and I'm there. He always mentions that story of <laughs> how he and I uh, connected. Some 40 years ago, I helped this young lad out. Yeah. So did it continue through La Habra High, being in school, being in government? Yeah, I was, I was involved in, in government. I was the president of the Spanish Club. I served on the inner uh, council where all the, uh, uh, the um, clubs would get together and make decisions as a group. Um, and, and was just very involved. I didn't play sports, but I was very active 
in kind of the the clubs mm-hmm. and, and and that kind of thing, rounding yeah. people up yeah. and doing something. Yeah, you know, we did food drives back then, and you know, I did did some shenanigans where you know I thought, you know what, let's let's go to TJ for the day with my Spanish club, and you know, we, we weren't supposed <laughs> to cross the border. You I probably we, you probably would not leave the county. <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> so we got us all together on a train, and we went down there uh, to the border, and then we crossed over, and we got a group together to go experience Tijuana, and. Oh you know, my I got goodness. called in the principal's office, but yeah, there's still little things like that that I thought we can do it, <laughs> you know. Yeah, probably had a great experience. I mean, that must yeah. have been absolutely fun. So, when do you then answer the bell for local government here in La Habra? Well, I was newly married and living in a area that was very. Um, Let's just say there's a lot of challenges in that area. Gang violence was was rampant in La Habra back then. What year is this? Uh, this was in uh, the late eighties. Late eighties, late early nineties. Okay, and uh, so this would have been nineteen eighty nine. Okay, when I went into my neighborhood, and somebody had gotten killed and shot uh, in front of my house. So somebody by the name of Dorothy Rush, and my then wife Brenda decided to get together and form a neighborhood watch. So uh, they formed this neighborhood watch. Well, the gang members started going after this little old lady, Dorothy Rush, and they started shooting at her home, saying, you can't be having neighborhood meetings. You can't do this, do that. And um, I told my wife, I said, I don't want them coming and shooting at our house. I said, I, I don't want you to get involved. I said, let me go to these meetings. I said, because you need to be a mom. You, you, Our son cannot survive without a mom. Right. So I started going and getting involved in that. So Dorothy Rush, this little old lady who just had courage of steel to stand up to these gang members, ended up running for the city council. And she won, and she served eight years on the city council. Well, I started getting involved more with that and, you know, trying to make a difference with the neighborhood association there. Uh, a guy by the name of Steve Simonian, who was on the council, council member, appointed me to the Community Services Commission. I got that appointment. And then when Dorothy Rush retired from the city council, who was one of my neighbors, uh, I was asked to run. She's asked me to run. She endorsed me. I had the entire support of the city council. And I ran, and that was, uh, oh, uh, I'm going to be going into my 20th year uh, this month in December. I start my 20th year on the city council. And that's kind of how I got I, I had no grand plan to enter politics. I had no, you know, this, that, or the other that I was going to be, you know, on the city council. It just it kind of uh, came about me unexpectedly. When you were at your time, just even on the, on the original council, right, the safety council, how, how much, service? the community service, how much, how many hours in a week was that uh, that you had to put on or what was your duties even then? Well, back, back then, um, you know, it, it, you didn't have so many hours to put in. You didn't have to have like a criteria that you had to, you know, we had commissioners that were, you know, would go to one, two events. I went to everything. Okay. I, I went to all the events. So, And what were the I, functions? What did you uh, have? You know, I'd go down to the senior lunch and go see the seniors down okay. there. Uh, if there was a concert in the park, I would go there. Uh, any community-related uh, events that was put on by the city mm-hmm. uh, were, were run by our community services department. And I, I would go down there. And then there were some things that were lacking. So as a commissioner, I started a, a program like the Veterans Day program. Uh, we never had a, a way to honor our veterans. I said, why don't we do this? So I started the Veterans Day program. And, um, you know, the very first Veterans Day 
that I started, eight people showed up. Okay. Eight people showed up. And Ed Arnold was, ironically, my guest. <laughs> I invited him to come down. He's a veteran. And he spoke like there were 100 people there, and he did a great job. And now we get over 500 people at these events. I started other events like our, uh, our youth committee. Okay. Uh, I wanted to have our, our youth have a voice. So I was absolutely on fire, brought a number of programs on, and the council saw that I was very active and the most active commissioner that they'd asked me to run, and I ran, and I did very well. Yeah. Were, was, was even early in that time, was the time that you put into it surprising, or was it something you just went above and beyond? Like, I'll put in the extra miles. You know, I, I did it because I, I loved it, so it didn't seem like I was having to put in the hours. I was with my people. I was in the community. I was having a good time. And, and and being able to respond to some of the needs that were needed there. So I didn't feel like I was putting in time or I was even volunteering. It was just like, you know. You, you really, you really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I loved it. And it didn't seem like it was like, you know, a political thing. Or, or work. Or, or was, work or anything. I was just having fun with my people, enjoying it, and finding opportunities. I hear, hey, why don't we do this, do that? And I'd bring up the idea when we had a, a meeting or stuff. So it never seemed like it was work at all. It was all fun. Now, how was the... Uh, Gang situation around the house at that time was it changing? Were you yeah? Were so it started changing you, back back in the you know late early nineties. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, early nineties. We got a new. Um, well, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll take it back. You know, I came down here and talked to the city manager and said, "Hey, we got a gang problem here." He looked at me and said, "Well, how dare you say we have a gang problem here in La Habra?" And it was a guy named Lee Reisner. Yeah, yeah. And he kicked myself and Dorothy Rush out of city hall. He kicked us out because we wanted to talk. So the next time. What, what was his head in the sand about? You know, he, he was somebody who, who, who ran the city with a tight iron fist. And it was his way or the highway. And he was very arrogant sometimes. And, and it was a different time back then. You know, it was. It was. Very, very different time. And he kicked Dorothy and I out. So the next time I showed up, I set up a meeting. I showed up with a reporter from the Orange County Register. And his tune changed real quickly. So he ended up resigning as a city manager. Really? He ended up resigning. Yeah, he said he couldn't stand this Dorothy Rush, the little <laughs> old lady, uh, that had a lot of courage. And, of course, I, I uh, was there with Dorothy. And uh, they brought in a new police chief, Steve Staley. And that's when the right. time started to change here in La Habra. Steve uh, Staley was a tremendous visionary. He was in the police, uh, you know, uh, neighborhood policing. He had meetings. He was out there. Now, not to say that the last chief was bad. That was Chief Chief Behan, but you know he, he had served there quite a while. And times change, right? Right. And and you have to be able to, to adapt, adapt to, right? Adapt to the change. So so nothing. I mean I mean I, Meehan, uh, that chief. He was he was a great individual. He tried his best, but I think he got to the point where you know it was maybe a little bit in over his head because it, it got out of control. Right. Right. No, that happens. Like what you might have learned in the academy in the 60s and 70s, and now you're running it through the 80s and times are changing. If you're not adapting, you're going to get left behind. You're going right. to get beat by the criminals. Right. They're always adapting. Right. So I could see that happening. So when they approach you and say, hey, we would like you to run for city council, are you taken back or are you embracing it? I, I uh, embrace the idea. I, I decided I'm going to run, but I didn't know the first thing of how to run a campaign. <laughs> I did not know. Right. That was my next question. Yeah. Like, yeah you you're know, not a politician. Yeah. I, I, I really did not know. And I had my first fundraiser 
and it was like in September, which is, you know, nowadays, if, if you're running a council, I mean, for city council or any office, you can't start in September to run your campaign. I mean, when yeah, you, absolutely. Yeah, when, when do November, you start spring? Yeah, I start in September. And I, when should you have started? I should have started like probably early on, like uh, you know February or the beginning. Okay. Of start, yeah, right. Start getting you know some funds together. That kind. Of, I, so I did because the election's I, November. The, the election's November, but then, oh, but then, man. but then there was absentee ballots and stuff like that. So actually, you know, up to a month before that, they for well, sure. Uh, yeah. So I, you know, so I was behind the eight ball, and and you know, fortunately. At the very last minute, somebody by the name of Steve Simonian came in, and and he paid for a mailer for me to, to, to get out there in the community. And back then, I ran against a guy named uh, Tim Shaw. Oh, yes. Who would later become uh, a member of the Hobbit City Council. And, you know, Tim back then, you know, I wanted to have this this gut feeling in my, my mind that I wouldn't like my opponent. But he was such a pleasant guy. And we became friends. And I said the next, he called me the next morning. You know, he conceded and said, hey, I'm sorry. I wish you luck. True gentleman. And uh, I said, Tim, I said, next time there's an opening on city council, you have my commitment. I will support you. And, and, and see, that's the true difference between local government is yeah. that you and Tim might bump into each other. You're going to know each other. Yeah. But if you're running for Congress, you might be in Diamond Bar and you might be in Brea and you don't know each other. Right. 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 But, you're going to know your city council people. You're going to know them. You either went to school. Your brother might have played basketball with something. Right. There's a connection. As with the opponents and the people you're on board with and the people in the city. So that really goes to show how small, when you're on the city council, you are in touch with everybody. It's very easy. It, it, it really is. And now, uh, with the way social media is, oh. you know, it, it's instantaneously... It, it happens like you can make a decision here uh, on a Monday night city council meeting and there may be something they don't like and people will blast it on social media. It'll get out and, and it's instant. People will call you. They'll, they'll flood you with, with messages where before you'd have to wait to the, you know, Friday uh, La Habra star come out to read what action was taken or whatever. And now, you know, with social media, everything's instantaneously. It happens right away. So people react like, like never before. Sure, you can make a vote before you get to your car. You're already flooded with yeah, exactly. a bunch of DMs that, that, like, that, "What that, are you thinking, yeah, you dummy?" Exactly, <laughs> and they're not afraid to call you a dummy. <laughs> I, 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 ironically, and, and you know, you know, back in the day, you know, it, it was it, it was you know, cable TV was the place where you would watch it. Well, now, you know, you can turn on the internet and get the council meeting on the internet. Right, you have access on your phone. On your phone, exactly, and everything's instantaneously uh they want to know for example now you know there could be an, a car accident on uh you know la Habra boulevard or whatever and i'm getting messages like uh, on social media like what's going on over here what's going on there so now that my role as a council member i mean yeah you were serving 24 7 but literally if there's a helicopter overnight at three o'clock in the morning i'm getting messages so i'm having called the watch commander hey what's going on with this helicopter and get that information out there and that's something i absolutely embrace embrace Growing up, I always wanted to be a, a newscaster or a sportscaster. So I kind of uh, uh, created this, my own forum. So originally, I'd write a column to get my information out to the people of La Habra. That kind of changed. I did cable. Was that in La Habra Star? La Habra Star. Yeah, La Habra Star. Then it became the Orange County Register. Right. And they, that kind of thing. But yeah, I would write a column for them. And I would put all the information on what was happening locally because there was very 
little information out there, how people could could be able to dissect it. Isn't that crazy how little information there yeah, was? And we're yeah, not talking eighteen yeah. eighty. We're talking yeah. in the nineties. Exactly. So so that was the, so I would do that. And it started actually as me just writing a letter to the editor. And then uh this couple came to me and said, Why don't you write a column for them? And they came to me and said, You like to do a column? And that became my column and a way to communicate with the people of La Habra. And then later on, I did a cable show here uh, to, to keep people informed on what was going on here. And then um, I was the very first person to do a forum called Ask the Mayor. Come on, on on Facebook Live, and people would send me messages, and we would do it live. Uh, you know, this is your time to sound off. Talk to the mayor. <laughs> and they would send me my messages, and I would talk to these people uh, via Facebook. So now things have, have just changed dramatically. So, um, you know, now I do some a lot of fun things where I'll go to, you know, grand opening or, you know, celebrate somebody's 100th birthday and I'll put on, you know, Facebook Live. Now I do a, uh, a little, st we do a studio thing with me and Marie called Two on the Town. And that has kind of evolved. We, we also do a, an award show where we recognize local heroes uh, created the first La Habra Hall of Fame. Right. Yeah. So Steve Simonian steps up in a big way, though, early in your career and comes up with those mailers. I mean, you know, Steve has been just a tremendous individual. I he has been like a father figure to me and he has had a tremendous career. So somebody like him who had the illustrious career, worked for the district attorney's office. He was police chief in Montebello, uh, got involved here in local politics, and just is is a, is a heavy hitter, so to speak. But to take an interest in little James Gomez of La Habra, that was just such a true honor. I will always, always be appreciative to him. What do you think he saw in you? Uh, I, I think he saw somebody that had potential, somebody that loved La Habra. Somebody absolutely has a passion for law. I think he saw the passion in me. Right. And Those drive. are big. The three things you just yeah. said are big. Yeah. Having that passion and loving the city you're yeah. in. Yeah, I, I love La Habra. They gave me the nickname Mr. La Habra. Imagine when I die, they're going to call me Mr. La Habra. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you really know, do love this I, town. I, I do love this town. I, 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 I can't explain it. I just, I have this passion. Every day I get up, I thank God that I live in the greatest city in all the United States, and to be able to serve the city I grew up in, it just drives me nuts. I love it. I love La Habra. Do you think I it would be more helpful if more city council people all across the country had that kind of love for the city they well, were in? You know, in? so many. What the problem is today? There's so many people that are involved in the city. They're they're elected to be a council member. They're elected to 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 that spot, and then they start worrying about. Well, I want to be an assemblyman. I want to be a supervisor. I want to go. And they're always looking to the next step, what to, 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 to run for. Mm -hmm. Instead of focusing on what they were elected to, the position of the council. Right. And it just drives me nuts. They, they switch chairs here, there, I'm going to run for this, run for that, and this, that. And they're more worried about the position rather than serving. We're public servants. Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen that here in your four or your twenty year career? That absolutely. You've watched people come in. A absolutely. They come in and immediately they're and looking they, next. They're looking for the next for the next Oh, I, I hear I hear Kathy or Jim's gonna not be running and they're so you're looking like I'll jump to that spot. Yeah. yeah. O C Center. You know, I, I, I will tell you this. I, I was asked 
um, to run for assembly. And I, I turned that down because once you, well, now local politics at my level has gotten a little ugly lately. Sure. If you've been following what's going on here lo- locally. But it, it, there was a time where it was not like that, where even though we would make a decision on the dais, that decision stayed at the dais and we'd go out and, you know, get together and have a burger together. Right. But some of that has changed where, you know, there might be a couple people who just, you know, don't get along, don't see eye to eye, and it's gotten pretty ugly. Oh. And, 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 and that was always a, a deterrent for me to remind me. I was uh, elected to serve here locally where I never wanted to go to the county because it would just get so, so ugly there. But I've been asked, believe it or not, I don't know if you know this or not, but I got a call one day and a good friend of mine, Rosie Greer, mm-hmm. and Rosie Greer was going to run for governor. And he wanted me to run for lieutenant governor. He thought I had uh, uh, the, the know-how to, to run for that state office. You know, we met with a couple of former governors. And I discouraged him because he was up in his age uh, to not run for that. But I was so honored. Imagine somebody, the statue of Rosie Greer, saw it on me that he wanted me to run for lieutenant governor. That's crazy. What was Rosie thinking about diving that deep into politics? I mean, into the governor's role. That's huge. Well, you know, Rosie, I think, has become very, he's very conservative. I think he's be- become um, very discouraged, uh, very saddened at the way things have changed here in the state, uh, the way the grand exodus of people that have left California. Oh, yeah. I think he feels that, you know, with, with all the experience, I mean, he, he has served under administrations of, of several presidents. He has. Where yeah. he has. So he... Um, I think he felt that, that he would be able to contribute to bring back the old, good old days of California. Wow, he didn't want to try like uh, a mayor first. He wanted, no, he to, go wanted right to go to the big house. Right for governor, and he called me <laughs> and, uh, and said, Jeez, Will you James. be my lieutenant? And I said, What? Yeah, you uh, and I, uh, and I went down there and we met with him. And you wanted to probably check and make sure he was okay? Right, yeah. <laughs> so these opportunities, Matt, have opened up where I'm just like, sometimes I go, like, Wow. I, I just I feel so blessed that they would think enough of me like that because I'm I'm somebody that that never graduated from college I never finished college I never finished that I got married I I, I have you know a few more units to to go to to graduate but I I didn't do it I, I I got married and to be able to do with with the limited gifts that God's given me I think I've been able to do okay yeah absolutely so let's let's talk about that that campaign and how it gets run for you. Yeah. I mean, how nervous are you as it's coming down to November at that time when you're first running? Yeah, I was, I was a, a pile of nerves and I, I <laughs> is that a nice way of uh, yeah, putting it? I, I, you know, I never, <laughs> never knew. And then, you know, you get the results in and James yeah, Gomez talk, wins. Talk about the results then. It's not like today where everything's well, back ins- then what we would have to do is you wouldn't get the you wouldn't get the results on on the uh, on the computer. You would have to go call in right. You're on, on the, the phone, phone and, and get 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 the results that way and write them down. And I was up all night getting the results, and then everything had had closed out. Well, what I didn't realize is is that you know not all the votes are in then because they still have some mailers that come in and stuff. So uh, I came in second place, which I won. Okay. Steve Simonian came in first. I came in second. We ran this campaign. But then I'm like, oh, S-H-I, and you can fill another <laughs> letter. I'm a council member. 
Oh it's my, real what now. have I gotten myself into? My Lord, I was excited about it. Be careful what you ask for. And then you're going to get it. And then you don't realize, you know, why you think things are going to be run one way. And then you get there. And it's a whole different ballpark when you get into local government and you're on the city council. When when did it did that moment? That's when it was real. Did it slap you, you in know, the face? When, real? When, I, when I got sworn in and I'm sitting there on that dais and I'm looking out in the audience, you know, your heart begins to race a little bit. You go, I'm the guy now. People are going to look to me. Oh, my. I better hang on, put on my seatbelt. This is going to be a wild ride. Did you have a mentor where you actually sat down, or was it like mom and dad, and say, listen, uh, this is what I'm doing, and then when you're looking out there? You know, my you... parents were, were, were very proud of me, and they were always more of a moral support in terms of, you know, praying for me and, and you know, guiding me that way. In terms of politics, they really don't know too much of how it was run. The, the, the true, true mentor for me was Steve Simone. Okay. He kind of guided me along the early ways and, and how, how things were, were ran and, you know, the protocol that, that's in there. Right. Now and, there's uh, you got to learn rules and protocols. Yeah, and Yeah, there's certain things that you can and cannot do. You know, you can't just go into – you could, but you, it's not uh, recommended to just walk into somebody's office and say, hey, you know, get this done. You know, there's a protocol. You should go to the city manager and have them uh, address it that way. Mm-hmm. So there were things that I, I, I thought that I was going to be able to do that – I was not going to be able to do. And then there's certain things that, that are guidelines and rules that come down from the state that you can't do. There's mandates, there's rules that you have to follow. And, you know, uh, it, what I thought would be quick fixes to certain problems are really not. <laughs> did So did you literally have to, like, do your homework? On yes, the, yes, yes. I and James and, can do this. James yeah, cannot he, do that. Yes, yeah, I do that. Yeah. Money, where money can go, what, what money you can accept, what money you can't, like... Uh, like money you? changes everything. When you're when you're in government and you have a lot of money, or you have the funds available, the funds too much. Then, yes. then it, it's great. It makes it, your job a lot easier. When the funds aren't there, so you know, I I learned early on that you had to go, you know, hit the pavement and go beg for money in Sacramento. So early on, uh, myself and Rosa Spinoza, when we were gonna, you know, build Lavinia Park, and we were short some money, you know, went over there, knocked on some doors at Bob Pacheco and and. Um, I can't remember what, what her name is. Uh, Lynn Doucher's office to go in there. And Bob Margett, those were some of our early legislators there, and beg for money. And, you know, long and behold, our begging, uh, they were able to help us with some funding and that. But but that, that's... Okay, but the, uh, now you make that sound so simple, like going to ask for money. But there's a process yeah. to how you do it. Right. And, you know, you, you're pitching. You're trying to explain to them why yeah. this money is going to make this... And, and you know, how the, did the, you the learn pit, that process? Was, is because of, you know, our demographic, we're largely... Hispanic, we were uh, an underserved community. The need was there for the community, and uh, that was going to make a significant difference in here. So they looked at it as a good project uh, for La Habra because not only was it going to serve La Habra, but they could, you know, for example, with the softball field, was going to be able to serve a regional area. They were going to have tournaments there, and they saw the bigger, uh, you know, uh, picture of this this mm-hmm. situation with this project. Because prior to uh, that, that park was pretty scary. Oh, it was ugly. It was ugly. It was just... You just, went there to get drugs or get into trouble. You're right. People but, from La Habra High School yeah. would cross across uh, the street to La Benita Park, and they had a little, you know, the little tokers area there where yep. the people would toke out and smoke and yeah. and, and, that, and that kind of thing. So, so the fact that they saw that they could make a difference here, they threw some money into that, and we were able to, to build those softball fields. When you ran 
how many people lived in in La Habra? Do you have a rust estimate? Oh, we had back back then. We had about fifty thousand or so. Uh, now we're up to almost close to sixty four thousand. Okay, so yeah. do you know what eligible voters actually voted in that that year for you? Was it a good number that turned out? Was it seventy eighty percent of registered voters turned out? You know, I, I really don't remember. What that about was 20 years ago? Right. What about the most recent? Well, 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 Do we now, have a now, now, ironically, because things have become so polarized and 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 people have really, you know, taken a stand. You know, when 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 Trump has come into office, you know, the, um, you know, you're, you're for him or against him or whatever, wherever you stand on that, you know, the voter turnout has been tremendous lately. You know, we're we're getting you know La Habra seventy percent voter turnout. Wow. Isn't that great? Okay, we say seventy, we think that's good. But if you were in school and you got 70, that's just average. Like, where's the other 30%? What does it take yeah. to get them to come out? Even yeah. in local government. Yeah. What does that take? Do you have any idea that how you can push it to to, 80, get, to get everybody 85? to come out? You know, I, I think it's going to be taken to where somebody, they, they see their rights being in jeopardy. Okay. And taken away where they, it's, when something gets taken away from you or the jeopardize of something getting taken away, then people realize, what they have, and that privilege that they have, and then suddenly, they will come out. Then they're then they're there. Yeah, and ironically, people don't really come to too many city council meetings. They don't. They come down there, but not until it's going to affect something in their neighborhood, in their street, do they take the time to say, "Okay, uh, I better get down there and let them know what I think." It's only when it when it when it, it you know uh, affects their little world around them do they really um, get involved. But for the most part. Uh, the average folks don't even know who their city council member is. is. That's sad. That is, yeah. Because, you know, you guys sit up there and you guys can make all those quick choices on a Monday night that can affect them immediately yeah. where we talked about earlier, like... Whether it, it's a water rate. Somebody says it was a water rate. I mean, uh, you know, water is becoming more expensive right now because right. we were importing more water. Uh, that affects people. You know, monthly. does that fire people up in La Habra? Does I'm sorry, fire people up? Oh yeah, you we, you know, especially with the elderly people. I mean, people are on fixed incomes. Right. Inflation is going rampant right now. So, the cost to do business or to be able to serve the people, fuel cost. I mean, uh, you know, our trash haulers are charging more money now. So there's a number of things because of the local inflation right now. It's affecting people uh, day in and day out, and it gets passed on to them. So. How quickly do you guys look at the ripple effect and go, okay, we're paying more for X, Y, and Z. We might need to raise taxes or permits or fees. Like, how long do you guys l go until those Well, usually what happens is, is, you know, after a while, within a couple months when things get crazy and the trash hauler is losing money, you know, they, they have a little clause in there where they can come back and, and they're saying, hey, we, we got to just rate. We're losing money. And on top of that, we're having to pay more income to our trash, uh, for example, good good examples, uh, Brea and, uh, is it Brea? Or, no, Placentia and Fullerton. I'm sorry. Okay. Those two cities, uh, their trash haulers have been on strike. Right. And trash is just, uh, they're having little drop-off places. Right, it was piling uh, up. Yeah, yeah. So like, I think that's fixed up uh, now. But, yep, but that's did. a situation as a result of the cost of, of doing business for these trash haulers. They want more money. They and 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 that's causing labor disputes in, in areas like that. How how many contracts do you think you've read in the last twenty years? Oh my God! <laughs> my, uh, the look uh, on your uh, face—it's uh, 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 it's like a you lot. Know, 
you know, I, I sit down there and I, I read and I read and it just, it's a lot to take in. And, you know, over the years, you know, you, you could have, you read so much of this stuff. Sometimes you forget of past decisions you made and, you know, the whole scenario. Sure, of this stuff over 20 years. I mean, it's a lot of stuff to take in and digest, but I have a routine. I get, I get my, I, that's what I say. What's your routine? My, my, my agenda pack. And I get it now. Now, back in the old days. We would get these huge folders of mounds and mounds of paper. Three ring and I, binders. And I'd write just it up and, and I'd highlight it and that kind of So I get now it's on an iPad. So I get the iPad on a Thursday and I sit down there and I skim through it very quickly. Okay. And then I go through and then on Sunday, my Sunday is spent where I sit down there and really dive into it. And then on a Monday morning prior to the council meeting, I will go back there again and just skim through it again. But Sunday's my big reading day uh, for, for the agenda and go through there and look at it. And um, What are you looking for? What are you trying to dissect? Well, the number one thing is what's, what's, what's something going to cost us? Okay. And you go down the back of it what the financial impact is. And then there's a little summary in the very beginning which talks about whatever the project is. And it's a little dialogue on there. It's usually no more than two or three pages of, of, of kind of what it is. And then you go into the you know, the reports and, and other stuff, which, which you know, you, you, you don't have to really dive into that because then you can turn around. Uh, and I have then I have a conversation with the city manager. I call now, who, up. Who puts this together? Uh, each department head puts together each report. Okay. So they put together the report, and this goes back maybe a month ago, where they start preparing their reports, and then they submit them into the city clerk. Okay. She looks them over to make sure that they look okay, and then the city attorney looks over to make sure that there's nothing crazy that right. they're doing and they're okay then the city manager gets it and gets a final approval to read over everything and then they go and they set a date for us to hear this stuff and then you know prior to the meeting we meet on monday so about thursday we get the staff reports and we start you know getting ready for for showtime is is wow. on that monday and it's it's a lot of mounds of, of paper but then like i said uh, i will meet with the city manager prior to the city council meeting on Monday, I'll ask them questions I have. Um, what would be a typical like scenario you're going to ask questions? Uh, you know, uh, a situation like you know, you know, what what uh, concerns have you received from the neighborhood? Have we got okay. any any concerns from the neighborhood? You know, um, uh, is this really going to work by by doing is this going to solve this particular problem if we do X, Y, and Z to this situation? Yeah, what's pros uh, and cons? Yeah, yeah, and exactly, reflective. pros and cons. Exactly. And, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So so there's just. You know, depending on the situation, you know, do we really want to go that way? You know, are we are we? Because um, every decision sometimes, you make, sometimes we tend to overreact to things rather okay. than taking an incremental approach. So a big thing with me is I want to make sure in a situation, are we doing an incremental approach first? For example, like there might be a, a problem in a neighborhood uh, with speeding or whatever, and mm -hmm. we'll go ahead and we'll put uh, maybe speed bumps and we'll go through the whole study in this. You know, well, did that take care of the problem? Could we have, you know, added a, a stoplight here? Could have done something different? Did we overreact to that? Right. Or, or maybe, you know, they want an area red curb. Well, then, you know, could we get by with 10 feet rather than 50 feet or whatever? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because so that's I four parking thinking, you know, spots. Right. Yeah, it's yes. a, there's a ripple effect. Yeah, exactly. So I want to make sure that we always take a, a methodical, uh, incremental approach that we don't over, over, overreact. Right. Because it could be as simple as if you went with 10 feet of red, Okay, that's one parking spot. But if you go 50, that's four spots lost. Right. That could be an effect on a business, an apartment place, and it does have an effect real quick. It does. 
Are there decisions you made in the past that you've seen those ripple effects years later where you've either been happy for them or bothered that, that those decisions were made? Yes, absolutely. And, and one of these prime examples was, um, it just drives me nuts, is you take El Central Park. Okay. And, you know, staff came to us and said, okay, we're going to extend the park area. And we're going to close off that street and we're going to extend it over. And we're going to have, you know, access through here. And we're going to build some new uh, uh, apartments over here. And they completely closed off Orangewood Street. And they extended kind of the park area. And they did like a little thing that looked like a riverbed in there. And it, anyway, just a waste of, of, of land there. It just locked in. It drives people crazy. They have to make a U-turn to get out of there. And, you know, first windows presented seemed like a pretty good idea. We're going to have more park park space for for the residents. And it's kind of a wasted spot. So what I'm doing the now The park is, wasn't needed? That space? Well, that spa- it, it completely cuts off traffic in that area. Okay. So, it's, so then they put this little riverbed thing. So you can't really even cross it while we, I mean, I asked them to build a bridge there uh, so people can cross. Anyway, it just, it's just not. Was that where someone's vision wasn't yeah, fully. Kind of like, like a marble field, you yeah. know, it just, just didn't, <laughs> you know, uh, that's the new location of my marble field, you know. <laughs> but there will be a windmill there soon. It, 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 it just drives me nuts. So it just, you know, people go down, they're going to El Central Park and they want to go cross on orange or uh, that street there and they can't they have to make a turn go around and it cut down some space like for the corn festival where they'd be out there and it's just probably not the best idea there so you know it's up there now and if we take it down it's going to be a waste of public funds for that so what i'm looking at is i'm big with the veterans and i have a meeting this week with our senator josh newman okay i want to build a memorial there for our veterans Veterans Hall is right across the street. So I want to create an area there where people can go spend some time of reflection and have a, a memorial for our veterans that we've lost and just something really nice there. So I'm going to go beg for funds on Wednesday and see if we can make that happen there. Okay. And I think that'd be great when we have our centennial right. uh, to unveil that there. So that's my vision. That's what I want to have, see happen there now is take this, this situation where it was not a great decision in the first place See if we can do something that will make our community proud in a place where we can go and spend some time in reflection of those that we've lost. Those are tough kind of decisions, right? Because when they're made, you think, yes, more park. Everybody's going to love that and the space and where it's going to be utilized. And then you see eight years later, whatever the time period is, it didn't work out. Yeah. Kind of like years ago, and I was a kid, when they built these, right in the middle of a drought, they built these fountains on Harbor Boulevard and Whittier Boulevard up there. Yes, the big yes, right. And that was like they had these fountains right in the middle of a drought, and then they eventually end up removing them because, I mean. Right. Who was, there these? was a miniature golf course there was over there. a miniature there. golf course there, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and then the yeah. fountains, yeah. I remember. Remember those fountains? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, my uh, dad told be, us yeah. those were the dinosaurs would come and drink water out of it. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> it was such a waste. So this is just like that was such a waste of money. And this thing, probably not the best use. Okay, so like, let's take those fountains. I mean, obviously, you and I were kids when that happens. Yeah. What is someone's thought process? Like, when does that fountain get thought of? Like in the 68, you know, 72? Yeah, and yeah. then they put it in, and you're like, and they thought, and they get the drought, and then people go there, and then they feel that, you know, it's hindering traffic, and people are gawking, looking at the thing, and then what's what did you see? Water shoot up like a geyser, and 
it was just not very well thought out. And then, so tell me how city council then makes, or you try to make the right decision. How much, I mean, energy are you put in to go, okay. When there's a decision and then, and then it's made and then you go down the road and you realize it's a, it's a bad decision. Then you got to try to see what you can do to fix it. If you can, right. If it's fixable. Because you've been in council during a huge change in La Habra from prior, you know, fat, you and I were kids, we were watching Fashion Square go away and being leveled. And if you say Fashion Square, people have no idea what you're talking about. The drive-in theater and now what that's become and that area and all that change moving in, you know, having a, a Home Depot in our area and all that stuff. How are those changes in those 20 years been uh, I guess easy for you or difficult for you to see happen and make. Those well, it got a lot more easier to make some of the decisions. It was you know, La Havre was originally thought of as a bedroom community mm -hmm. because um, what does that mean know, to people? Well, when you bed, say that bedroom people, people, you know, we didn't have very much retail in here, okay. very limited retail. We didn't have a, 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 a freeway close by to us. No, no freeway here, no freeway access. So the state came in and said, the way you're going to get your tax dollars now. So you got to rely more on retail uh, dollars, the tax revenue that you get from a retailer like a Target or a Costco. So rather than do more homes, which La Havre was, we had to switch and figure out how are we going to get our money. So we had to focus more on bringing, you know, attracting the big box stores. So uh, myself and Steve Simonia end up going to the conventions out in uh, in Las Vegas. They have a, 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 a it's called, I believe, it's, um, the Retail Association uh, that, that gets together. And they're all over there. And we try to attract them to come to La Habra to open their, their, their big box stores here. And we meet with them. And, uh, you know, so that, that started. Like, for example, I had a vision to bring Trader Joe's to La Habra. And we, they would just, they laugh at me. And they say, ha, ha. We ain't going to your, your town. So what I did, I had my <laughs> no, call up. What was their negative thought of La Habra? They just thought La Habra didn't have the demographic. Okay. They, they probably thought it's a largely Hispanic people. You know, what, you know we, don't, we don't sell. The, they probably thought we don't have uh, the Hispanic products. It's going to mm -hmm. be attractive. Then we have a few. But So anyway, I had this vision. I wanted Trader Joe's to come. So what I did was I had my column back then. I asked my readers to write letters to me saying if Trader Joe's came to La Habra, that they would support it. So I had a letter writing campaign. I got over 200 letters to come in. And I went, got them all together, and I went to the corporate headquarters at Trader Joe's. And I went in there, and like a little kid, I threw them all on the desk there, and I was all happy. And the guy's like, oh, I'm, I'm not impressed. You know, he didn't, kind of arrogance there. Right, I got 2,000 from yeah, another city. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but I kept persevering. I kept Remind that guy every month about the little old town of La Habra that was here. Well, then they later on, we built these apartment complexes right there at 951 South Beach Boulevard, which is adjacent with the old Friendly Hills site. Mm -hmm. And they saw, wow, there might be an opportunity there for a Trader Joe's to go there. And they looked at the spot. Long and behold, they opened a Trader Joe's in La Habra. People said it could never happen. <laughs> and that was one of my greatest lures to La Habra was Trader Joe's. Now, why did you think Trader Joe's and La Habra would work together? Uh, I, I, I just thought that, that people would love 
the fact that it was a specialty store, that they had products that you couldn't get in any other store. Right. You don't gonna find it I, around. I yeah, yeah. And I and I thought really that we had the demographic. I thought I thought that uh, I felt strongly felt that, you know, with, with the Westridge project up there and those homes and the homes uh, in the area that people would want to go to Trader Joe's. I, I don't want to keep going to Whittier or Brea. Besides, the parking was horrible there. Right, right. So, I mean, those are those city council decisions that you kind of have to know who you're voting for when you put them in, that they're going to make the decisions that are right, right and for you your gotta, city. And you got to be able to remain focused, and you're going to get a lot of no's when you knock on doors when doing projects like that. But you got to remain Focus. You got to remember to persevere. You got to be able to think what how, what effect is it going to have not only in this a neighborhood, but the entire community. Is the entire community going to get behind a project like this? And uh, the fact that I put it out there and said, "Write me a letter," that told me right off the bat that I got two hundred letters from not everybody subscribes to the Orange County Register. Right. That they responded. and They responded in a big way, and I knew I had something that the community would get behind and support. Do you, have you ever sat at a city council meeting where a, someone from the public has come in and voiced their opinion, pro or against whatever you're thinking of, and they swayed your decision? They're, they changed your mind for or against? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There there have been... There have been uh, Is that an amazing moment to have you know, that, that clarity, you hear them, whatever they say, and you go, wow, I didn't think of it that way? Exactly. Sometimes they bring up a, a, a very good point, and you go, well, well we're not going to... We're not going to do that after all. Right. That. The five of us aren't geniuses. Yeah, There's actually yeah. somebody with a better yeah, idea. It, it has been. They, they've lived in their neighborhood, you know, 20 years, and, and they, they bring more light to the situation that's not in the staff report. Mm-hmm. And we listen, and we respond to that. Yeah, that's that that's the so important. You know, one, of, one, of, one thing, that, and it did not change my vote, one, one of the hardest decisions that I had to make was the Costco hearing that when we were going to bring Costco to law, I knew it was going to be good for the community. But the people adjacent to Costco right in front did not want Costco to come to La Habra. Really? And two of those people were my aunts that lived right across the street. I had one aunt on one side and one aunt on the other on side. On La Habra Boulevard? On La Habra Boulevard, right there on Mission Street. Uh-huh. And they were not big advocates for that. There was a, a lady who was a big proponent against Costco, and she got the neighborhood all... Uh, you know, riled up and that kind of thing. And <laughs> that neighborhood did not want it. And two of those people were relatives of mine. It didn't make for a very interesting, it made for a very interesting <laughs> Thanksgiving, right? Right. But uh, to sit there and have them there in the audience, not supporting that is pretty difficult. Right. They're, and then this is know, family members. Family, family, it's family, right? Well, the funny thing now is that whole neighborhood that was against it. You know, we put it, we, we put in a light there, and you can't go directly into that neighborhood. Now the neighborhood is upset because they can't take a clear shot into Costco. These people that were against it are now in Costco all the time. Mm-hmm. They love the fact that they have Costco. My aunts love the fact they can go over and get a rotisserie chicken <laughs> for five ninety nine at any time. At any time, what's for dinner? Just cross the street and go, and it's done. Right, you know, and and and. Times like that is difficult. When you look at those kind of decisions, like a Costco, right? I mean, you look at it and you try to explain to them, listen, this is going to bring so much tax revenue to us. It's going to outweigh the traffic or a street light and that stuff. I mean, how much, 
does that weigh on you to put in all that information? Well, you and know, understand? We, we took so much time to listen to what their concerns were. Their traffic was a big issue. So we had it, you know, come out on, on driven towards Beach Boulevard, mm -hmm. away from the homes on La Habra Boulevard. Uh, you know, that was all mitigated. Then we put it, set it back more towards the school. There's a lot of landscaping. So if you look at our Costco, it's not like the Costco out in Fullerton. Right. I'm, I'm proud of our Costco. You come in and... and that and one's a mess in Fullerton. <laughs> it's it, a mess. It is a, it is, it the is gas a station spills yeah, onto the all, street. All on Harbor Boulevard. Right. It's wrapped around there. I mean... Yeah, you got we, parking uh, by the movie theater. You got to deal with in and out. It yeah. is just horrible yeah. design. And we took a lot of time to try to address so that stuff like that would not happen here in La Habra. So when you go by, it, 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 it's, it's very clean. Aesthetically, it looks very pleasant. You know, when you drive by, you can't even tell that the Costco's even there because it's the way it's set back. How many departments are in those kind of decision makings in a city? Every, every single department. Everybody, everybody gets everybody, involved. Everybody gets involved. The police, our community services develop, uh, uh, department looks at, even looks at it. I mean, every safety, department everything. looks at everything. Safety, they want to look at Does even fire get involved in like, listen, oh, absolutely. we need. They're, they're one of the most the biggest ones to make sure that, you know, we have the, the far, you know proper access in there, exit in there. I mean, everything is look at it. Is right. looked at. That's amazing. I mean, do you even because it is right up against Whittier Christian. And, yeah. Do you even talk to them and be like, okay, the amount they, of they, we have to notice all of them, and they have the opportunity to uh, have their time to to sound off on the project and give their opinion as well. Right. And in, in addition to that, you know, we we talk to these people before they come to La Habra. We tell them, you know, we want you to be community partners. We want you just to come over here and collect a paycheck. Right. We talk to them about being involved in the community. We want them to be able to support our local schools. We want them uh, to be there. How many uh, corporations are open to that? Uh, for the most part, uh, the vast majority of them are open to that that type of situation. I mean, a prime example, Northgate Gonzalez Supermarket. That is a tremendous company, independently owned, that does so much for for whether they bring in breast cancer screenings for individual little mobile unit. They just did a toy giveaway that was involved with them um, a couple weeks ago. They, they do so much stuff, even off the radar screen, where they might hear about a family that's, that's uh, down on their luck where they will go and deliver gift certificates or gift cards to a family that's down and out. And they don't, it's not publicized. They're not doing right. it they just uh, do to, it to get on the front page very quietly, stuff like that. Yeah. And those are the type of individuals that we just love in there. And there's even They're a little, wonderful little company. Yeah, and, and that's what we see, and that's what we want. Like, for example, uh, you know, when a Target opens, uh, you know, they give money back to to the community, uh, to organizations like the Boys and Girls Club. And they continue to support. Right. How's the balance when you have, like, a Home Depot in town and, like, a James Hardware, where you're bringing in this behemoth company into a city, yeah, you know, and um, you have mom-and-pop hardware That was right stores. before I got on the city council, but this is what I'm hearing. Even though when that big Home Depot came in, they thought Canning's Hardware, James Hardware right. is going to go out of business. But it actually enhanced their business because some of the stuff that uh, Home Depot did not have, these little specially mom-and-pop stores have the odd, odd nuts and bolts or this older product mm -hmm. that they have in that maybe they cannot find at a Home Depot. Plus, that's, that uh, I'm sorry, they would have a Home Depot. They would have it at a James Hardware, at a Canning's Hardware. So, ironically, even Canning's Hardware ended up doing a little building expansion and a remodel as a result because... Business boomed when the Home Depot came in. Right. Imagine that. Yeah. 
Well, I know if I need something, you know, and it's a specialty part, like say, I, I live in a house that's 100 years old, I'm not going to find it at Home Depot. Yeah. But I can go to the guys at James and they know, oh, yeah. it works the door mechanism. It works just like this. I and they know that Matt Brown from way back when your grandmother used yeah. to go in there. They, they <laughs> exactly. know they, they know exactly. Yeah. Oh, little Matty, how you yeah, doing? Right? You still want a lollipop? Yeah, yeah they're still. Right? Still. And, and that's out. what I'm seeing. Like, like for example, when Smoke and Fire, which is our brand new, uh, probably one of our number one eateries here in La Habra, that's it's just running like gangbusters. They really they, are. They came to me, about four guys, young and motivated entrepreneurs, and they said, we want to open up a place called Smoke and Fire. We want to do barbecue in La Habra. And these kids were, I call them kids, they were in their 30s. And they came to me with their vision. And then we talked to Northgate Market about them possibly opening up there. And they came out and they barbecued for me. And this food was tremendous. So now they're opening up like their fifth store. And during the pandemic, when they weren't able to have people come in, it was all takeout. You know, these, these young entrepreneurs, what they did, they were out serving the first responders, police, fire, um, you know, our hospitals, giving food away when these poor guys couldn't even open up their doors for people to come in and sit down. And they have been blessed immensely. That's the difference there from some of the big corporations, these young entrepreneurs who get it, who Give back to the community. Do you feel they're more community oriented? They are more involved in the city when there's little little places yeah, like that. Yeah, they do. They they see it. They're kind of like kind of like local government. They see right. the people day in day out. You know, they, they have a vested interest in the community. With local government, is it? Or do you have to be more cognizant of your neighbors, of a Brea, of a Whittier, of a La Habra Heights, of a Fullerton when you guys are making decisions and how that affects your cities next to you and surrounding you? You know, I have a very good relationship with my surrounding communities. Like, for example, Joe Vinatieri. I very often go down there and support his city when he does a grand opening. And we collaborate on things that are going on. We talk about some of the projects that are going on. Uh, you know, like with the bike trail. You know, we, mm -hmm. we collaborate right. uh, about about stuff like that. Uh, some of the stores are getting in there. So so he and I, and, and La Mirada, for example, I... I I'm very active with the Lomrata Chamber of Commerce because I with John Lewis over there. I want to hear what's what's going on over there. What they're and we trade ideas. You know, there might be something I don't think about for La Habra, and they're doing it in La Mirada. I go, well, we got to do that in La Habra. We right. Gotta, we got to borrow There's, their idea. Right. Some part of it yeah. we can use here. So I I am real big on visiting other cities. So there is kind of a good collaboration. Well, for me, yeah, I I do that. I I go down there like example once a month. I attend. They have a breakfast down at Polly's. Uh, with Lamrod and I go down there, and then um, uh, with the city of Whittier, Joe Venetari and I uh, regularly uh, meet. Uh, we have a, a thing called Tasty Tuesday in in that community over there, where they meet at a restaurant on a particular Tuesday of the month. And I'll go down there, and he goes down. We collaborate. We talk about what's going on. So I'm I'm very in tune of what goes on. And people sometimes say, "Well, what are you doing over there in that city? You're going to move <laughs> over there? You're going to try to run for their council?" No. I just want to be able to share their ideas, hear what's going on with them. Collaboration. And collaboration is so important, yes. You so don't you have know. every answer. Yeah. And if you can get two of them from a guy in Brea, a so guy in So important that you surround yourself with good people. Yeah. That's very important. Yeah. And, and the fact that, that I want to hear what they're doing, I want to hear their ideas, and it, it, it's, it's made me uh, you know, be able to have an open mind and what, 
further vision that we can have for you, this you, beautiful community of La Havre. Yeah, you really don't want to be the smartest guy in the room. You want to surround yourself with really smart people That's in right. the room, and then better ideas will be formed. You don't want yes men. You're absolutely right, Matt, yeah. So what makes a good city council person? Is it someone surrounding themselves with good people? Surrounding yourself with good people, a good listener. You have to be able to, to be a good listener. And do not lose focus of who you serve. Don't get to where you feel, where people feel like um, they have to serve you. Sometimes you get there, it becomes like some kind of arrogance that people get. Right. And thankfully, I have a good son who reminds me and knocks me on the side of my head <laughs> and says, hey, Dad, think about this. Or, you know, Marie, who's my co-host on Two in the Town, reminds me, hey, James, uh, could you have handled that situation a little different? Yeah. And you, it's so uh, important that you remain grounded. What would you tell James Gomez 20 years ago when you first took the seat at city council? What, what advice would you give him? Uh, I think what, a big thing for me is, is faith. Faith in God to be able to rely on God's wisdom and have that outlet. The, the stresses that come along with a job are tremendous. And for me, faith has played a big role uh, in it. 20 years ago, you know, I, I, you know, I, I believed in God, but it was not to, to where it is today. Uh, I think faith is tremendous. And, and again, to be uh, a good listener, remain grounded, I would tell him. And don't be arrogant. Don't be arrogant. Here's a tough question, because it, it happens. If you've been in it 20 years, what's been your worst day on city council? My worst day is when I get a phone call and I hear about a death that's happened in the community, whether it, but, but they absolutely, one of, the, one of the worst days was when I lost my colleague, Steve Anderson. You get the call in the middle of the night or another one that was one of my worst days was when I heard that my colleague's wife had passed away, Mary Simonian. Steve Simonian's wife had passed away. I'd gotten a call and said Mary had passed away. Steve was on a fishing trip and he was in an area where there was no cell phone, uh, service so we went to his house the kids are there obviously distraught horrible situation their mom had died and trying to reach steve and let him know that his wife died gut-wrenching nights like that that are just horrible when there involves a death or you hear about a kid that got run over those those are days that you go wow tough tough days what's the best day the best day the best day is when you're able to put a smile on somebody's face. Or the best day for me is when I'm at in the supermarket or out eating, and they tell me, you know, you may not remember me, but 10 years ago, you helped me in this situation. You helped me in this situation. And, and somehow I was able to impact their life in a positive way and to help them. That just that make, that makes my day, right? That's, when I hear somebody, that's like, got to oh, be the best. Yeah, and, and I don't exactly maybe remember the situation, and they they tell me that, right? You know, the hardest part for me, and and the tough days for me, that weigh heavy on me, is every once in a while you get these knuckleheads on social media, and they immediately go for the juggler vein. They immediately start criticizing me about my weight, and for the most part, you know, I'm thick skin more than one <laughs> way, right? But every once in a while. It'll get to you. You're having a bad day, and you'll read this stuff. You go, like, how can some people be so cruel? But that's just a very small, 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 small group. 
compared to the, you know all the people that are out there. Well, it, I, my immediate response to them would be like, run, yeah, run for office, wear this hat, yeah. see how difficult this job is. Like, it's hard to get a city of sixty thousand people to get involved and make decisions for them. And the, the hard part too is when it affects your family member. I have two parents. They're getting close to their 80s. Mm-hmm. They're getting close to their 80s. And when they read this stuff, and nobody wants to see them attack their their, yeah. their kid, right. that, that's difficult for me. Or when my son sees it, and I have to take him aside and say, listen, this is out there. Um, I want to make you aware of it. And, and and for them, it weighs heavy on them. So that that's, you know, I knew go, what I was going to get into when I entered the world of politics, but... It, it weighs heavy on them sometimes when they see some stuff out there that's ugly and criticism, and right? That kind of thing. Yeah. How is it for someone in local government to deal with the feds, like having a relationship with Young Kim or? Well, you know, yeah. uh, it, it's it's fant- it's it's great. I mean, I I have had a tremendous relationship with Young Kim. I knew her. Her kids were students in uh, my ex wife's class. Okay. And they go way back to when they were at uh, Imperial. So I knew her when she was just a, uh, a, a younger PTA, Kim? PTA, a younger Kim, younger, <laughs> yeah. younger, right? Yeah. A PTA mom. And, you know, where I worked back then, I worked for a, a Korean church. Uh, they were members of this church. So I knew her just even before. Charles, her husband, was the one that was more involved in politics mm-hmm. than political. She was not. So we go way back there. And it's just so important. I could just, you know, somebody like It's so great that I'm able to just pick up my cell phone, call her and say, hey, young you know, I, I need your help on this. You know, can you help me on this? You know, we have something coming up, yeah. Because you know the feds have the biggest purse strings, so when that's a big project or something, like you were saying, go to Sacramento, is there ever something where you're like, okay, guys, we're going to have to go to the feds for this kind of funding? Yeah, you know, it, real, real important. It, it has to do with, you know, our local businesses during the pandemic. You know, make sure she got behind some of these PPP fundings that were going to be needed to be able to. to that get was big our, for you guys. That right? was big, and that was also with you know Gil Cisneros was in the office. Yeah, the back time. then. But he he, see the thing that's so important, so important. I don't care if they're a Republican or a Democrat or whatever they are. I don't care what political association. Just do the right thing for the community, and help us when we need help. You know, there's so many people that, and it's really big with, and I'm a conservative, the fact that, that, wow, you know, uh, you know, less government, this and that, but you know, there's, there's monies out there. If La Habra doesn't get it, it's going to go to somebody else. That's the reality of it. So why not do the best you can and get what you can for your community? You know, I understand your political philosophies, but right now we're in a time where the government's just throwing it out there. And, and, you know, you may not believe with that philosophically, but if we don't get it, somebody else is going to get it. So I'm going to get on that gravy train and get it and try to make a difference in La Habra because if we don't get it, it's going to go to Maywood. It's going to go to Whittier. It's going to go to somebody else. Yeah, it'll go somebody out of the state. Someone right, that won't yeah, even affect exactly. you. I mean, if it's going to go to Brea, Fullerton, okay. If it's there and they're going to spend it and it's out there, why not take right. it? Hi. Hi, I'm James. Yeah. I'd like to get in line, yeah. right? Like, yeah. get involved. So uh, so during the pandemic, it's so important to be able to aid our, our local businesses and, uh, you know, to be able to get, you know, our share of the pandemic money. It was so essential. Talk about, w- before we started, you were talking about the apartment place and how that situation is, like, with the parking and all those things. Like, how, how much in, in, in city council decisions are those 
you know, kind of decisions where you're worried about how many parking spaces do you got to deal with, police and fire. I mean, those are always the little those things. Are, those are very important uh, decisions. But more and more what we're finding is because there's a lack of inventory in housing, the guidelines on projects are becoming less and less. They're, becoming, they're loosening them up a lot. Right, they're coming down so from the yeah, state, right? Yeah. So the state's mandating on what you have to do. So, for example, if a GOA person is going to develop an um, apartment complex and they allow 10% or uh, contribute 10% to affordable housing, they get bonus parking, which means that significantly they get a bonus on the amount of parking that they need on site. And it can, may not be enough for an area, but you have no choice but to approve it because there's standards that are set by the state of California. And we have to adhere to that stuff. And you could already be a, a, a neighborhood that has no parking. I think of this project on, it's a, I believe it's Monta Vista, where we approved a par- apartment complex. And clearly, it's already congested. And people are you know spilling out into Lambert Road to park. But we have no choice but to approve it. Because if we don't, we'll end up in a situation like Long Beach, where they got sued by the state. Didn't Huntington have that problem too? Yeah, yeah. And there's nothing you could do. It comes down from the state. You must follow those rules. You got to follow the rules, man. That and is- it's going to become more and more uh, as we move forward. More and more are these uh, these mandates and restrictions are going to come to us. Right. Where where they're, I mean they're they're talking about you know certain areas of, of open space uh, to the, you know that you have to approve it. And, and you know there's you're talking about old, old golf courses. For example, a big thing here was Westridge Golf Club that. The community there did, really was against it, and you know now they're talking about doing legislation where they say that if there's an old golf course and you know in the land's there and they want to develop it, then they have the right to do it. Right. So hey, what happens though then on a on a Monday, forty people show up to the meeting and they're pissed off and ready to throw you out on your head because there's no parking, and you say, "Sorry, it came from the yeah, state." Yeah, you have to try to be able to articulate the best <laughs> way you can as to why you have no choice. And people are saying, well, then let's challenge the state. Let's go after the state. Well, do you want to put up your money yeah. <laughs> uh, to fight this in case, you know, there's a lawsuit? Uh, you know. Is that where you kind of direct the kind of because Josh I, I, Newman's office is the that bo- way? The bottom line is, is it'll take taxpayers' money to defend a lawsuit uh, if we're put in a situation with a lawsuit. So, so we, you know, sometimes we get the city attorney involved and we have him kind of articulate as to why this is happening. And for the most part, most people do listen to that. But we do also offer them, you know, that that avenue to go speak to their legislator and, you know, if we have to set up an appointment with them to, to meet with them. Let, let's, let's finish it up with this. Make your pitch on why it's important for people to be involved in local politics. Oh, my God, because day in and day out, you know, you, you have, they are the true decision makers, people that make the decisions for the, your community. You don't realize uh, what impact that will have in your life. It's so important that you remain in contact with your, your city council. Know what's going on. You know, pick up the paper. Go as simple as uh, the Internet now. There's so many avenues now to remain informed here. You know, we, we I can tell you, my colleagues, every single one of us, want to do the best we can because this is the community we live in. This is the community we go and we shop in. So we, you know, we, we, we're just like them. We're, we're one of them and we're here to represent them. 
So don't lose sight of that. It's very important that, that you uh, remain attuned, uh, a attunement for attainment, <laughs> you know, uh, in tune with what's, what's going on and, and be in contact and let us know what you think. Yeah. Thank you for the 20 years you've put forth into the city. It's Matt, well, thank you so much. I'm so honored uh, to be here today. I have been a tremendous fan of yours, seeing your work with the Angels and, and the, the newspaper, and you are truly a treasure in the sports world. No, no, no. I take yeah, pictures. True. You actually make yeah. a difference in people's yeah, lives. You, I mean, you do. You, you, you capture, peop, capture <laughs> special moments in people's lives, and, uh, you know, yeah, but nobody ever comes to me on a Monday and screams and hollers and wants decisions made. You are really putting forth an effort. What's the future for James? You know, uh, we'll see. Uh, next year is an election coming up. I'll reassess everything. You know, right now it appears that I'll probably run again, but we'll we'll see. I, I, I you know, I, I I've been given the name Mr. La Habra. I don't need to have a title uh, to be a council member to make a difference, whether I'm on the city council or not. I'm still going to make a difference in the community. I'm still going to be supporting our nonprofit organizations. If there's something that comes up, whether I'm on or off the city council, I'm still going to make a difference any way I can. Mr. LaHaber, you're the best. Thank you for your time. No, thank you so much, man. All right, James, it's been great. Thank you. Thank you for listening to my conversation with James Gomez. Please click the like button if you enjoyed the episode. You can always subscribe as well and follow us on Instagram. And remember, you can find all of our past shows at the website, justagoodconversation.com. Thank you for listening.